0: Welcome everyone to another episode of the Cosmic Matrix podcast and we have a special guest this time it will be with me and my very special guest Neelish Merrick who has been on the podcast uh, almost yeah two and a half years ago in let me look up yeah May 2020 and we dove deeper into Sri Aurobindo's work of the integral yoga and that was episode 33 Sri Aurobindo the last avatar so I highly recommend to listen to that episode as well, um, you know, in conjunction to what we are diving deeper into here, because we're going to dive deep into Sri Aurobindo's work and the Mother and Integral Yoga, and kind of like basically taking off or continuing where we took off um, in the first episode. But first of all, welcome to the podcast, Neelish.
1: Thank you, Bernard. Nice to see you again.
0: Excellent. So, I want to give our audience also a little introduction. I've known you for many years, and we first met uh, officially, like at a conference. We both were participating in 2017, I believe, the Berlin Future Forum, where I gave a talk, you gave a talk. We had a great time and a lot of deep conversations. And life has changed a lot since then, globally, collectively, and in our individual lives. Um, But just a little introduction. So, Neelish Merik is an experimenter, questioner, student, and explorer of the human potential space where behavior, systems, culture, and consciousness affect personal growth and creative novelty. He has three decades decades of experience in blue-chip corporations as well as startups. These assignments covered a wide array of consumer and industrial products, management, consulting, and IT in various countries and cultures. Over the last decade, he has been engaged in multi- and transdisciplinary research and study across philosophy, social sciences, psychology, complexity, and spirituality, with a total immersion in integral yoga for the last few years. And that's where we want to immerse ourselves as well. Uh, also, to in honor of Sri Obindo's 150th birthday, right, that um, was in August. And um, I also want to point out that I attended a workshop of yours in July which was really an excellent five-day um, course um, called Evolving Towards Integral Self-Perfection based on the Integral Yoga and Sri work. And it was very helpful, insightful, we can uh, link more because it ge- you're offering more of these courses, which I would have to say is maybe not for a total beginner and some prerequisite will be some basic understanding of having read a little bit about Sri Aurobindo and Integral Yoga as well. Um, But you also, and that's why I really want to focus on, you released an amazing uh, essay or paper in just last April or May called The Divine and Undivine, A Time-Spirited Philosophical Contextualization. And it's a really excellent paper. I've highlighted so much, almost the whole (laughs) paper, because I think it's very important in this day and age. We're dealing with, obviously, the archetypal war of dark versus light. There's a lot happening. You know, audience uh, uh, listener to this podcast knows know what what we're really dealing on a collective level, on a 3D level, what's happening with the globalization, great reset, and we don't want to get maybe too much into the specific aspects of uh, the manifestation of these forces, but diving deeper in the ultimate question the role of evil and divine and and the undivine. And this whole idea sometimes can be easily abused, spiritually bypassing, well, all is one, all is divine anyway, and it becomes very paradoxical, right? Uh, But having said that, um, uh, integral yoga and Sri Aurobindo's work, especially in Life Divine and the way how, how he describes or conceptualized divine and undivine gives a very, uh, workable and world framework. And you have very well summarized that in this paper. So um, just go a bit through it. Maybe tell a listener what inspired you to write this paper and what is it about first in a nutshell, the abstract, so to speak?
1: Um, in a sense, like yourself, uh, Bernard, um, the problem of evil has always fascinated me. Uh, for many, many years, about two decades now. And uh, in our lifetime, we could say that the fascination with the subject is not just at an abstract philosophical level, but it is brought alive every day with real life world events. Mm. And as we begin to wake up and begin to sense and understand what is really happening in the world, with which our lives are directly uh, dependent and interactive and uh, and there's a mutuality of impact. Uh, It began to dawn on me that we cannot ignore this or pretend that it doesn't exist or brush it under the carpet. Parallelly, as one develops a more esoteric orientation and orientation to get to understanding reality in its entire range and depth. uh, It begins to uh, become a difficult kind of a contradiction. uh, In in the sense that, while once while one is drawn towards higher and deeper realities of the spirit and the higher consciousness, one finds it particularly disturbing to have to deal with things which in the world which seem to be its exact opposite.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that is, um, so wh- why is this contradiction? Why is this huge gap? One needs to, one wants to understand. And one begins to realize that until this puzzle, this, which can be overall called the puzzle or the riddle of existence is cracked, there can never be no real lasting knowledge and no lasting fulfillment in life. So. In a sense, this applies to all of us. In my case, um, I think after 9-11 or thereabouts, you know, this penny started mm-hmm. dropping. And then the active exploration at the exoteric level, which is to do with events and happenings and all the good stuff in the world. And then about 10 years ago, when, the, when my own journey started inwards, there ended up being associations and correlations between inner realities and outer realities, inner truths and outer realities. And then one begins to understand slowly over a long time, how the outer is a reflection or a mirror or a effect or a consequence of the inner. Mm -hmm. Or how the exoteric is a fallout of the esoteric. The exoteric by its own standing is not the core issue, does not have the root and fundamental validity. The truth or the validity is what is happening in the inner world, in the inner spaces, in the in the supraphysical, if you can call it that way. And therefore, this leads to what is called the hidden layers of exploration, of exploration, the occult domains of exploration. And while doing that, one realizes that a a journey into the occult domains is not just difficult, but dangerous, unless one journeys into the higher domains of consciousness, because that's where the root is, that's where the foundation is. And it's only from there that all the understandings, both low down and outside, can be understood in their entirety. So, You could we could say that in my case, the exploration of the problem of evil, which in the metaphysics classroom of ancient philosophy was so-called, ended up being more the exploration of not just the problem of evil, but the problem or the phenomenon or the esoteric significance of the divine and the undivine. Mm -hmm. And from there stemmed this particular writing, which was also written at the behest of a particular. Conference held in Delhi. Um, it was a life divine conference, and this was one of the themes chosen. And I chose to present a paper on this,
0: mm-hmm.
1: so and make a presentation as well. So that's that's the background of this. Paper. Yeah,
0: beautiful. Yeah, let me quote um, also like a little bit from this paper. Um, uh, which also really kind of summarizes what you said, but it's really, I think this is the time and age to really ask these deeper questions and really, because we are so externally focused in the, you know, exoteric, right? Trying to fix the world and this and that. And we see the polarities and left versus right and and all of that. Uh, but there's something happening on occult cold levels and hidden levels in the unseen within ourselves, which we never really approach. And we're almost being distracted externally, constantly, especially in this world of technology nowadays, right? So you write in this paper, it is widely known in spiritual and esoteric literature that the manifest creation is shaped by an endless interplay of cosmic forces, both benevolent and malevolent, in to the cause of harmony and order. Those who have the inner vision can see that the world, at the time of the writing of this paper, is almost completely in the vice grip of a death cult, whose bloodlust for power and domination is jeopardizing the very survivable of the civilization as we know it, and whose dark shadow has affected a pervasive penetration of falsehood in every aspect of human existence, with all global institutions under its iron law. While the build-up to the climac- climacteric has happened across the ages, we currently seem to be on a uh, precarious brink of an existential crossroad where we're being asked to either take an evolutionary leap into a higher order of existence or face extinction. And I remember their mother also, she opened this partner and, and um, for people are not aware of it, uh, has also talked that we, there's a danger of um, falling deeper into the dark night of civilization because we refuse to become spiritualized. So really at the crossroad, and you see this even in other philosophy is a prophecy, even the Hopi Indians, there's a way up or a way down, right? Or it, from the Esoteric Christian tradition, the time of transition, it's an opportunity, but uh, not a guarantee, right? So we may, even Sri Aurobindo, remember, said something, if we don't solve that riddle you know, and make the leap, we might have to repeat the cycle uh, again, you know, until we get the lesson, basically. So if we're really at this critical moment. So, and, and I think... Going back to the importance of of Shriyabindu's vision in Jyotir Yoga, what he has actually done, you know, um, established here this opportunity, it's really important also to understand this interplay of the divine and undivine because this problem of evil has been, like you said, uh, you know, explored or you know, ba- uh, kind of dealt with for eons and and different religions, but. You know, you talk about this later on, which I want to get into as well, the different aspects or the fallacies or the traps within all of that of how to, you know, deal with evil in the, in the hostile forces. Uh, but it's really important to understand that there's some hidden forces as well, cosmic forces that, you know, um, kind of manifest through us and uh, manifest these external events. And we just, like I always say, being... Um, distracted by the shadows on the wall, like in Plato's allegory of the cave, so to speak, right? Um, and you also talk about, um, just want to like uh, give another um, quote real quick from this article. Uh, Depending on the disposition of the human instrumental vessel, adverse vital beings from Via Strata can take control and exercise their undivine influence on the person with increasing vehemence and tenacity. The stronger the ego desire master not Typically shown as an un- insatiable, ambitional drive for personal aggrandizement, as power hungry or sex hunger for domination and control, or as a premature experimentation of cultism, the more in- inextractable becomes the trap of agreement with, with these vital beings. So these power-hungry people, when we look at, for example, the great reset Klaus Schwab, you know, Bill Gates, which people that you know, whatever project their hate on, and understandably so but we don't want to become that what we fight against either right so that's 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 the really the uh, the challenge so to speak because i see a lot of people let's just arrest the the criminal arrest them execute them and then everything will be fine and good but what we really need uh, uh what Shirabina said is this transformation this transmutation right of everything rather than a, a full on destruction thinking
1: is that uh, when the Appreciation or the understanding is on extrinsic matters. We are obsessed with events and people and occurrences and happenings and those kind of things. But um, we are unaware of the things in the background that are making those things happen. Yes. So it's like watching a puppet show. And thinking that the puppets are real, but missing the strings from top, which are pulling the puppets. right? So the world is a puppet show. And we are obsessed with the puppets on the stage. But until we develop an understanding, not just an understanding yeah. of, but the capacity and power to search out and hunt out the puppet masters who are pulling the strings and deal with them. And either exterminate them or transform them or transmute them or rechannelize their energies from what they are doing to what they ought to be doing, the problem is not solved. Hmm. So the the issue about cosmic cosmic forces are at one level, the supraphysical antecedents or the determinants of what is happening in the visible domain. This is what it is. And if our entire obsession and our pursuit and our philosophy and our science is on the extrinsic events and only on the puppets, but not on the puppet masters. We are missing the point.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, in light of the paper, because I think a lot of that might be like we're, we're dealing also with terminology from Shyambin's Integral Yoga, but for people not are aware of it, so can can we define? Can you give us a? in a nutshell definition, what is the divine and what is the undivine actually in in this context, like to really give a definition of these terms.
1: So the divine uh, is a term that can be used to understand the reality. The one reality, the fundamental, original, source, determination, causation of everything that is manifest and we see in manifest creation. Mm -hmm. Um, The divine, however, in his, in the delight of his being, manifests himself through various forms, planes, scales, strata of existence. And this has, uh, there is a certain structure to this, it is not random. And one has to understand that structure to understand how the manifestation has taken place, what operating rules and constraints operate at these various strata, at these various levels, how the strata and levels relate to each other, and how do creatures such as us, animate and inanimate how do they relate to or figure in that structure? So this is what is called cosmogenesis. What is the nature and structure of reality, right? Now, when we begin to understand that, we realize that the divine operates through a certain devolution of his powers. His powers are infinite, of infinite quantity and quality. But when he devolves these powers across these planes of existence, these powers are given a certain freedom to do and fulfill their own basis and their own raison d'etre. And because the operating, one of the operating principles of the divine operation is freedom. These forces or beings or entities, whichever way you want to call them, are given the Full freedom and latitude to go and fulfill themselves. Now, because the qualities of the divine are infinite and multiple, and he chooses to experience his own creation in multiple ways, each and every element of creation has its own hidden truth or aspect of the divine reality, which it seeks to manifest or fulfill in the course of its participation in the creation. And statistically, one can then appreciate that this whole diversity in the unity, this whole multiplicity in the oneness, necessarily involves an infinite range of qualities. And once you accept that, it it becomes obvious that just as there will be qualities on the side of harmony and good and whatever we call pleasant or desirable or nice, there is equally a propensity of things being not nice, Mm -hmm. not good, not harmonious, right? because otherwise the full play is not possible. The full cosmic play necessarily demands this entire range, the full range. And in that range, when these devolved powers or beings begin to get separated, as a process through a process called exclusive concentration. Mm -hmm. When they begin to get separated from their source and their relationship with other beings like them who have been originated from the source, they end up being obsessed with doing their own thing independently of others. And that is the existential genesis of egoism or the obsessive, compulsive orientation to doing one's own thing at the expense in opposition or apathetic to, in whichever way you want to call it, to other such beings, propensities, proclivities, inclinations in the vast economy of cosmic nature. Mm now once this is un- i'm saying it in 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 a short form but yeah, yeah. once we begin to understand this this cosmogenesis this cosmology this this ontology of the of the of existence and its relationship to the one conscious being from whom these are all emanations or um, outpourings one then begins to understand that the full play full play requires this diversity So the undivine is just one spectrum or one way of classifying a certain kinds of propensities and the divine in as a subset of the capital divine is another set of propensities. And there is a full range and there are things in the middle also, right? It's a full scale. So in a dualistic way of thinking or in a way of classification for us limited mental consciousness to understand and grok this full range. These two terms are just indications of general clusters of propensities in two different directions. One which is aligned with the intention of the original divine in his evolutionary march that he wants to take his manifest creation towards. And the other set is one that opposes it. Mm-hmm. Or stands against it. Right? So, in so, in an epistemological sense, one can then say that the divine represents the truth or the knowledge of the reality, and the undivine represents ignorance or inconscience or the lack of readiness to acknowledge the truth and to persist in ignorance, falsehood, and error.
0: So, evil in sense. The
1: effects of Mm -hmm. all of this is what we see in terms of what is panning out in the exoteric puppet uh, stage of the world today.
0: Right. So, evil in its sense is based on ignorance. Can we say that?
1: Yes. It it originates from the black soil of inconscience. Mm -hmm. So, if we look at the full spectrum of consciousness, at the top is full consciousness of the divine. Mm -hmm. At the bottom, is what we can call almost complete unconsciousness. I say almost complete because there is always an iota of consciousness or proto-consciousness, even in the densest matter. So if you take that, so if you now look at it in a vertical sense, the origin of evil is from this black soil below. Mm -hmm. And it it takes various shades and shapes as it tries to evolve and struggle to evolve from the black soil of inconscience through various layers of consciousness and various grades of consciousness, as it tries to ascend to its original source and continent.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there are various gradations, and I wanted to uh, focus a little bit what you mentioned at the beginning of the paper: these these hostile forces or call forces, you know, which from the Integral Yoga perspective, um, you mentioned, or he mentioned the Azura, the Raksasa and the Pishacha. I hope I. Uh, Pronounce it correctly, but these are different forms of these hostile forces, different levels, almost, right? Yes. Well, how would you categorize them, right? And there, if I understand, correct me if I'm wrong. uh, You mentioned that before. These are not evolutionary beings; they exist in their own world, but they're not part of the uh, evolutionary. um, You know, like human beings have the soul evolution, the psychic being, and all of that, but they are vital beings from another world. They're not participating in that evolution. Oh, correct me if I'm okay.
1: Now, uh, well, you, you almost said it, but to put it more accurately,
0: mm-hmm.
1: not all beings participate in the evolution directly, okay. And these beings are called typal beings.
0: Typal that's the word a, I was looking for. Yes. A typal
1: being is a being which stays in a particular plane mm-hmm. or a particular world of consciousness, the world being defined as a certain pattern of interaction between soul and nature, which expresses itself in a certain quality of the three original divine qualities of Sat, Chit and Ananda. Mm -hmm. But for now, let us just say that each world has a certain operating principle for its existence. Any being which confines itself to one world is a non-evolutionary being. But any being which cuts across all planes and takes this vertical journey from bottom to top is an evolutionary being. Okay. So what happens is these these three beings that you just now named and many others like them are typal beings. But the fact that they're typal beings does not prevent them from wanting to vicariously participate or poke Mm -hmm. their finger in the evolutionary movement. Mm -hmm. So therefore, their only way they can do it is to try to possess or take hold of evolutionary beings who are struggling to make that journey and almost derive a vicarious pleasure from being able to do this puppet play. Mm -hmm. And to the extent that the evolutionary beings haven't come into their own, which basically means establish the dominion of their soul over their nature, both individual and universal nature, they will end up being puppets of these beings in some way or the other. And that's what humanity is today.
0: Exactly. That's, that's what's happening. This almost is a cult takeover. Like you wrote in the paper, in extreme cases, the psychic presence in the person, which is the divine spark that represents a spiritual influence for governing the nature, withdraws itself to the point of departure from the vessel, Unable or unwilling to withstand the toxicity and virulence of the vital invasion, what you just mentioned, and in such cases, the person said to be demonically possessed, as depicted in many horror movies and esoteric literature. A large proportion of people at the helm of power and global institutions of today seem to be more or less possessed by these beings and work like interfere, basically, uh, uh, you know, with the uh, human evolution or creation. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. You've said it. So let's move on then from that. So I established, um, and by the way, for anybody uh, who wants to read the paper itself, I will link to the paper written manual in the intro section below as well. But the next, one of the chapters really important. I think it's um, what you call the crisis of the karma yogin, right? And again, I want to give a little quote from that chap- chapter in this paper. The contemporary spiritual warrior faces an equally calamitous challenge as um, how do you pronounce it? Our aryana in Kuru. Arjuna.
1: Arjuna. It's a. It's, so Arjuna. The Gita is a spiritual text or a mm-hmm. or a scripture mm-hmm. in the Indian um, uh, spiritual heritage literature, and yeah. Arjuna is the protagonist. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Sri Krishna is the so it, it, for those who are not. Uh, aware of the scripture suffice it to say that it describes a spiritual war a spiritual war okay which is the kind of war we are going through now only what we are going through now is far far more dangerous and intense than what was the
0: uh, what
1: was the mahabharata kurukshetra war
0: and that's that's not an overstatement i agree apart from the horror recall and despondency of witnessing the undivine everywhere around him including his near and dear the sophistication and nuance of individualist differentiation often makes it difficult to find a long-term trustworthy peer group. No shit, <laughs> excuse my French. He also okay. has to deal with the vast number of so-called mid-path-treading neutral lot of his fellow men and women who are overwhelmingly more susceptible to the undivine influence than the divine and who eventually end up doing the devil's bidding due to the lack of discrimination. It is it is, if those... It is as if those who care not to detect the undivine in themselves are not able to reliably detect the undivine manipulating them for its nefarious ends. So let's talk about that a little bit, and also just for people, uh, what what is the definition of the karma karma yogin, um, the karma yoga?
1: So karma. So basically, um, if you just step back, anybody on the spiritual path begins with the exercise and the refinement and subtleization and polishing of three faculty imperatives. So each human being has primarily three faculty imperatives. The first is the faculty of knowledge, which is the will to know, to understand, Mm -hmm. to realize, to, to grasp and grok what is reality all about, what's going on. So that's knowledge. The second faculty imperative is the heart, the affective, the emotional, that's the will, that's the the faculty that wants to love and relate and interact and and bond and contribute and give oneself. Um, And the third is the faculty to do, to exercise one's will, to make things happen, to execute, to fructify, to fulfill. Right? Mm-hmm. Yes. One's dream or one vision or one's agenda, whichever way you want to call it. So the first is called in the in the Indian uh, in the in the language called the jnana yoga. So these are all yogas. Yoga means in its basic root yoga is union with the divine, with the source, the evolutionary imperative. Jnana yoga is yoga through the path of knowledge. Bhakti yoga is Yoga through the path of love and devotion. Karma yoga is the yoga through the path of will and work. Mm -hmm. So, the karma yogin is he or she who wishes to do the divine's work, unite with the divine, and be an instrument for the divine's work in this troubled and tortured world to end up trying or doing his own, his or her own bit to Convert this troubled and tortuous world into the
0: life divine. Yeah. So, as the, path, like you mentioned, this is like really the path of the spiritual warrior. in the quote I just read from your paper, it reminds me a little bit also like almost like we see it in other esoteric traditions and also symbolized in the movie The Matrix, the Agent Smith syndrome. And we're dealing with this on a mass level right now. Because what I see right now, as Krishnamurti also said a long time ago, it's no measure of health to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society. And we see that nowadays, how a lot of pathologies becoming normalized, right? And um, also, like, you mentioned that as well, I think, in this chapter. Um, and maybe you can talk a little about it, that, you know, how the devil or the undivine forces work. It's not this, like, obvious evil horror, but it's more like a... Um, falsification of truth a slight adjustment like a little bit of truth but a distortion and perversion of it and that's kind of almost the hook line and sinker with these big words we see nowadays like you know with like uh, globalization you know anti-racism you know what i mean equality uh, equity and and all of that kind of you know sustainability and all these words but they're being used by the anti-divine undivine forces for the complete enslavement and destruction of humanity
1: Yes. So again, uh, if we understand the evolutionary uh, reality and directionality and we understand that man has the role of bridging the animal and the divine or, or building the bridge for evolution to proceed from animal nature to divine nature and the direction is from here to here. It is obvious that in the beginning, he is actually in the mud. Mm-hmm. And when he's trying to evolve up from the mud, the mud is trying to pull him back. Because the mud has its own dominion and its own resolve of existence, going back to our cosmic power, yeah. illusion just some time back. And the mud wants to keep everything in its own dominion. right? So this painful and tortuous, hijack by the anti-divine forces is only natural because they operate in the mud. And man, as he's trying to climb up, it's like that scorpion and a bunch of scorpions in a container. Any scorpion who tries to go up, the others will try to pull him down. Right? All equalitarianism, all collectivism fundamentally is a lowest common denominator movement. If you think about it very deeply. Any collectivism, any Any um, sort of philosophical foundation which does not recognize the evolutionary direction, which does not recognize the divine source, which doesn't understand or acknowledge the fundamental instinct in nature to move from the mud to the light, will always stand against
0: it. Mm -hmm. Does that relate, by uh, the way? Sorry, just to interrupt, but this reminds me of something you mentioned in, in the, the course of the path towards self uh, uh, perfection. These three laws that oppose the law of persistence, the law of resistance, and the law of recurrence. Does that tie into that?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's, it's good you, may, you remember that from our earlier. Exactly. So, the, in, in that context where it was mentioned, it was about yogic sadhana, the, the cultivation of the will. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. to to enable this journey to happen. But in that context, these three terms are the day-to-day experiences of the karma yogin in dealing with his own nature. Whereas here in this paper, we are talking about his dealing with universal nature. And both of them are in in a sense, intimately related, because what is in one's own nature is just a microcosmic representation of what is there in cosmic nature. So that's a good uh,
0: correlation mm-hmm. you have drawn yeah and i also want the point because you hinted really because i know from your uh, we talked earlier the sadhana you know with your in ancient, basically self-work esoteric self-work inner work and when you really do it sincerely it's a battle it's a war you know and you see the resistance like you mentioned not only like you know externally you know you can fight the forces out there and, and on a global activism level but once you turn inside and you see your own resistance, your own quote unquote shit, you know, coming up, the mud within, um, you know, it's very humbling. You know, I think that's that's really once we turn the eyes within more. And I'm not saying that we should shut out the outside world, but it's truly a battle. You know, like even Shia Bina said, this yoga is a battle. And we're also like uh, dealing not only with our own personal stuff, but with these cosmic global forces with the mud of the inconscient that is really like uh, putting immense pressure and resistance um, on, you know, this path right now. And and I think also the mother, I think you mentioned this towards the end of this of this paper, we can talk about this a bit later, but the reason why all these forces, you know, are kind of like on overdrive, as I call it, the matrix is on overdrive, so to speak, the occult force, hostile force, in the last attempt for takeover, because they know their time is up, so to speak, right? Because they cannot... Uh, uh, resist the descent of the supramental, the divine consciousness. Uh, but it, in itself, this is the battle. And what you mentioned there as well, the, the battle of the kami yoga, is we're also just, what a lot of people I see struggling, bring it on a personal level, interpersonal level, you know, with families, friends, and our peers, you know, we're all being um, the divide and conquer. And all of what happened over the past two and a half years, people going through a lot of struggle uh, in that sense of really finding people they can really trust or align with, or not only like-minded, but be on the, on the same path with. So we see only this kind of splitting happening within humanity. Can, can you speak about that a little bit, maybe?
1: Uh, there are several um, uh, cuts of that split. I mean, I mean, at a very exoteric level, there are people who have caught on to the globalist agenda and this exoteric, um, this death cult and this power structure but the one I'm referring to here is a much finer cut, because mm-hmm. the large number of people who have caught on to the globalist agenda are not necessarily into the inner spiritual work. And so they are, Correct. <laughs> although they may have caught on to what is happening, they have not yet mustered up the commitment of the karma yogin mm-hmm. to wage the battle within their own natures mm-hmm. That makes them, that makes it possible for them to be a spiritual warrior and be the divine instrument. Right. And so the workshop that you talked about is not for the people who have just woken up to the exoteric agenda, right. but for a much smaller subset there who are prepared to do something about it apart from just complain about it. <laughs> and uh, and so it is a, you know, it is a, so once you start going into the more, esot- the more you want one goes from the exoteric to the esoteric, the splitting becomes a, very asymmetrical split. Mm
0: -hmm. And as you,
1: when you go towards inside, you may find only one or two (laughs) with you and the vast majority outside. Yes. So that's why it's a lonely path. And it's, um, uh, the only person you have uh, to keep company is the divine.
0: Yes. Very much so. I think that's very important to understand because there's a lot of people see that I've talked about this, the splitting of humanity or the, the lot of, you know, just based Based on even on the idea that there are vast different levels of consciousness and soul beings on different levels of of the evolution of consciousness and incarnations of eight billion people right so um without judgment, but this splitting is not like you mentioned like a lot of people it's not just about having a different opinion of what's happening or people wake up like I always say a lot of more people become aware of the ex what you call the um exoteric uh you know manifestation of the unto divine forces, so to speak, with the globalism, Great Reset, whatever, all of that. Uh, but that cannot be even has called taking the red pill from this deeper into <laughs> esoteric work, esoteric work, where we need to battle within ourselves to really spiritualize our being. But it does also require a certain certain uh, constitution to or, or prerequisite to dive into this work. So uh, in your paper, I'm very curious, um, there's a one question you ask, and I want to get uh, your take on it. Um, why is politics in conjunction with finance the most undivine institution in the world today? And as the mother said, will be the last institution to get divinized? Because still we look for political solutions, right? And, you know, I'm not necessarily a statist, you know what I mean? Governments and all of that, but we cannot skip steps i think we had this discussion many years ago i remember even in berlin you know with my more anarchistic views but i have it has become a new right because you never know how the divine works in more subtle ways even through certain politicians sometimes right uh in their own distortion so it's not that black and white i don't see that anymore but that's a good question to ask because ultimately there's no political solution for what's happening in the world right
1: well uh Somewhere later in the paper, we talk about uh, top-down and inside-out, and that's the most important thing to understand in this paper is probably that paragraph uh, in the context of the the yoga, yogic discussion we are having, not in the context of a political discussion. In the context of a yogic discussion, if the battle is not won within, the question of even contributing to the battle outside does not arise. Mm -hmm. That's from the yogic perspective. And therefore, the as you said, the commitment to take on the battle within is not taken by most people for various reasons. And there are several occult reasons for that. But for the purposes of the yoga, the, the, let me put it this way: only those who participate and take on the yoga as the central mission in life can be a karma yogin in the way we have mentioned it here. Mm-hmm. And only those who have done it will be in a position to divine to design the political and economic system which is in tune with the divine provenance and the divine will. Mm. But because of the nature of the evolutionary journey from the mud, all these systems that have come about over the last several thousand years have ultimately all proceeded from ignorance. It's not that there are, haven't been some good effort so, for example, the American War of Independence and the and the American system of politics that was set into motion in 1776 was probably one of the best. Mm-hmm. But having said that, it was still devised from a mental level of consciousness through rules and constitutions mm-hmm. and safeguards. It was not an inside-out job, in the sense right. we right. mean here, right? Right. So, before talking about, it's not that political systems are not needed; they are needed because. If you define politics in its esoteric sense, it is a mechanism of working and governance and decision-making in the collective space. Mm -hmm. And economics is the vitamin or the nutrient or the firepower that drives the energism that can make a collective system truly interactive and participatory this is the real definition of economics uh, and uh, politics right if you understand it that way if these mechanisms are not powered by the consciousness of unity and harmony just as mechanisms they will always fall apart yeah and because they are mechanisms of power the titan or the demon or the asura guess what is attracted to it the most yes <laughs> The divine is not attracted to power. The divine already has the power. It doesn't need to get attracted to power. It is self-existent. In in It is self-existent delight and infinity. The asura or the anti-divine who is divorced from the divine and therefore does not have the power will obviously have to clamor for it. At an individual level, if you think about it, what is this whole binding of desire? It is, a, it is a craving of stemming from a perceived lack, a perceived mm-hmm. vacuum, isn't it? Yes. Now, so all forms of desire, whether financial or vital or political, all forms of desire, all forms of wills to power stem from this existential lack. Mm-hmm. And when it is stemming from the lack the outer exoteric system is bound to be Titanic mm-hmm. or demoniac. Right. And because the, the configuration of power and the lust and the drive to rule others is so prominent and the dominant impulse of the Titan or the Asura, it is not surprising that politics and economics are the most anti, are the are the blackest and the densest dens of the anti-divine. Yeah. And that is why they will be the last to get divinized in the inside-out process of the divine will.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, so, yes.
1: Does that make sense?
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> no, that's, I mean, yeah. I when also like going back, to, I mean, the karma yoga, that's really what it comes down to. I think that's for every listener who's, in, in, some of it may be hard to understand about, you know, Sri Aurobindo's work, but the key point, what I've been writing about a lot as well, is the key point that we, at some point we need to really uh, look within and you know go deeper within and really change our being instead of just looking for external exoteric solutions you know driven by our own <laughs> lack, like you said, desire. And there's nothing to be said against desire; it's just asking where is, this, where is it coming from because you know I remember Gurdjieff, I mean, this is a different level, obviously, but Gurdjieff talked about the trap of the revolutionary mindset, right? And we see this on both sides, how the azura can easily hijack any power-hungry uh, politician on either sides and whatnot, or even revolutionary, it doesn't matter, right? Um, and then even, I think you have the quote by Nietzsche in there as well, which we're going to talk about, like, of becoming, watching out of becoming, that we fight against, so to speak. That's the big trap, right? The trap of agreement almost. Um but I want to, you know, basically, we're almost at the end of the uh, first hour. And then the second hour go. I want to go into these aspects you wrote about the philosophical smorgasbord, <laughs> as you call it, uh, smorgasbord. Uh, and these basically half a dozen examples of twists in the universal mental plane that obfuscate, mislead, and frustrate the spiritual warrior, karma yogin. Uh, basically, all the distortions or th- what we've seen in the past of. Um, how people perceive evil or try to fight evil and and deal with the world and whatnot including the whole new age corruption pop spirituality the idea of pacifism see no evil hear no evil uh the idea of neutrali- neutrality neutrality uh, relativism and all of that so i want to go through them one by one you know maybe you can describe them because i think it's very important to understand in the second hour and lastly also like here's another great quote from your article um about the kama yogin the twenty first century karma yogin is almost entirely left to fend for himself as he seeks the contemporary charioteer to help him face a far more powerful resource for evil and complex adversary whose net of influences extends everywhere moreover he is besieged with a confusing smog how do you pronounce it Smorgasbord is that a smorgasbord? Mar- is a
1: is a is a hotpot it's like a it's a it's like in a buffet where all the food items have
0: been mixed together. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> good, good. I learn every day. Moreover, he's besieged with a confusing smorgasbord of facile, facile half-truths on the philosophical buffet table of popular thought, which he has to vigilantly and assiduously sift through to distill out the wheat from the chaff and cultivate access to the source of unadulterated real knowledge, which, however, doesn't come easily inequivocally until he's ready and capable of receiving it. So here we dive deep into the domain that, like, you know, almost the the most smartest trick the devil pulled is just kind of distorting truth a little bit, right? Like I think Sartre talked about it, that evil is not that obvious, but it comes in, the, in light of virtue and all these distorted spiritual teachings and or even um, <clears throat> psychological work or pop spiritual new age ideas and all of that of what's really going on in the world and how we go about it. Um so let's dive that. I want to talk about that more in the in the second hour as well as we go deep into your paper. And then I also want to talk about a uh, very important like a, a little bit from the chapter from The Life Divine, the origin and remedy of falsehood, error, wrong and evil, uh, from Sheobindo's work. And really also cut through this idea or this misconception and uh that good and dark or undivine and divine is a, a duality which in this case it is not actually in the terms of what we usually think it is uh to really because it's important to understand as well um yeah um for people who want to like who are interested in in your workshops how can they reach that do you have a website for that and i can link to that you have upcoming uh, courses and workshops based on Integral Yoga.
1: Uh, Currently, uh, they are being offered through a a program called All Life is Yoga, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: which is a kind of an online multiversity, you can call it that, where many practitioners have come in and together they are offering a bouquet of courses. And uh, it is on a website called Integral EDU i link to uh, that. Dot in, uh, I forget the exact URL, but I can send it to you. And within that, it's not just me offering, there are many others are many, who have offered yeah. courses. It's from October to January. And I have uh, two uh, uh, more than work courses, I would like to call it workshops,
0: mm-hmm.
1: not courses in the academic sense at least. Right. And one is. Uh, workshop on the psychic transformation the other is a workshop on the spiritual transformation these as you know are the two of the first triple transformation stages of the uh, integral yoga.
0: exactly and i i um, attended the first workshop the evolving towards integral self-perfection which was very profound but i think also like it helped me that i've already uh, some basic understanding and my own immersions of 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 Integral Yoga and Sri work and the Mother, which by you now it's ongoing. You know what I mean? I'm still working on <laughs> the Life Divine, <laughs> and, you know, page by page. Uh, but again, like for anybody who's new to Sri work, please go back to the podcast episode 33, which will give a more introduction to Sri Buddha's work in Integral Yoga and the the importance of of uh, this revelation. Because it's not just a teaching, but the Mother said it's a revelation. Uh, for this day and age and because we're in a critical phase. And again, I will also link to Nielish's perfect, excellent uh, essay on the divine and undivine, which we briefly already touched upon. And we go deeper into that in the second hour for our members and talk more about things we may not be able to, especially in this day and age, talk publicly about. (laughs) Uh, And if you're not a member yet, you can go to my website, veilofreality.com and sign up there and you will have access to all the second hours of all podcasts. Thank you so much, Nilesh, and we'll be right back.
1: See you soon.